So as we prepare for Susie to come up and start our um, new series, um, open your Bibles to page 882 and join me in looking at Acts 1, verse 6 through 9. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, in his book called The Life-Giving Spirit, author Todd Corpy tells the story of sitting and watching a Netflix documentary with his wife, and the documentary was called When Does Life End? It featured a host of situations in which terminally ill patients had either brain function but no beating heart or the opposite. And it talked about the variety of opinions within the medical and the scientific community on which part of the body is responsible for the essence that we refer to as life. And it got him thinking, what is life actually? Typically, we don't have much trouble identifying something as dead or alive. Although, uh, I have read that there was a period in history where they would attach a string to a coffin and have a little bell on the other end of that string up top, and when they buried someone, uh, they would have that string attached just in case they got it wrong. But the Bible actually has an answer to the question about what life is, not from a scientific medical perspective, but from heaven's perspective, from God's perspective. And it is my hope as we kick off this new series called Living is Giving, it is my hope that we can make a much-needed link between how we see life and death and what we do with both. My prayer is that there would be an awakening within us to live as we are truly designed to live, which, which is basically means to live as a people who cannot die. Imagine for a minute that you had the opportunity to live in three different cities. Uh, you over a period of time, Maui, with its lush beaches and its bougainvillea, and Chicago, with its negative 30-degree windchill, and Phoenix, with its deserts and Sararo cactuses. And let's say you lived in those three cities, and at the end of that time, someone said, which city was your favorite? Which city did you enjoy most? Now, just 
from a human perspective, if you are a beach person, you probably would say Maui. If you are a desert person, you probably would say Phoenix. If you are a crazy person, you probably would say Chicago in the wintertime. But imagine from God's perspective, from heaven's perspective, how that question might be answered. Which city did you enjoy the most? Which city did you like the best? I think from heaven's perspective, it depends. I think from God's perspective, it depends. It depends totally on whether or not I approach the city with a posture to give or to take. It depends on whether I went with a desire to bless or with an attitude of entitlement. Did I go to harvest or to plant? Did the city exist for my benefit or did I exist for its benefit? Every week, we wrestle with these tensions. Like, should I go to church or should I go to the mountains? Should I participate in a small group or watch the game on TV? Should I open up my Bible app or my Facebook app? And every week, when you walk through our blue doors, you are either coming in with a posture to give or to take. And track with me because it's more nuanced than you might think initially. You either come in to serve or to be served. You come to bless the Lord or to be blessed. You come to either give worship or to take information and inspiration from the sermon and the songs that we participate in together. It's a subtle difference, but our posture changes everything. On one hand, I can have a posture of being a consumer. On the other hand, I can have a posture that says, I am a spiritual contributor. And here's the thing, and this is the nuanced, counterintuitive nature of God's ways. When I come to bless the Lord, I am blessed in the process. When I come focused on being blessed, I am entering with a me-first mindset. It's consumeristic. We could call it Christianity, But it's not Christ-like. Here's what we know about the life of Christ. The Son of Man, the Bible says, did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And the thing is, When your posture is to bless God, you're blessed. When your posture is to serve others, you receive. 
but we are just surrounded by a tsunami of media and cultural messages that say, put you first. Your happiness is in your hands. Go live your best life now. And it's one purchase away, and it's one acquisition away, and it's one commitment away. But the still, soft voice of God tells us actually something upside down, the exact opposite, that it is in losing our lives that we find them. Imagine it like this. If every breath you inhale, every single breath you inhale, is a gift from God, then doesn't it make sense that every breath you exhale would be for God? If every breath you inhale is a gift from him, then every breath you exhale ought to be for him. We're very one-sided at times. We can take and take and take thinking, if I don't fend for myself, nobody else will. But the reality is, if I approach life with the posture of a giving and generous heart, not only are others going to be filled and blessed, but so am I. Jesus himself said, he came to serve, not be served. Now, whenever we do a series here at church on serving, I'm very aware that there can be a little bit of PTSD in the room for some of you who have been a part of churches or Christian communities that overemphasized volunteering. And maybe for some of you, you have been in environments where you felt coerced or bullied or intimidated or manipulated. You felt like the sin card was played, like if you're not volunteering, like it's your full-time job, you don't really matter around here. And truth be told, pastors and churches like where we are now, we have messed this up. Many times we have equated faithfulness with busyness. But the truth is, the fruit of the Spirit is not a busy life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So if you have a little PTSD, like, oh, we're starting a living is giving series. She's talking about serving. I'm starting to get, you know, like when my caution flags are going up, I'm getting a little anxious. That's fair. I understand that churches, pastors, we've, we have messed this up sometimes. And let's be honest, on the other side of the coin, as people participating in the life of a faith community, we too have messed this up. We too have sat back and thought, I will just be a consumer of Christian goods. And that's not God's dream for our lives either. I think on both sides of the coin, we need a whole new paradigm to build our lives from as followers of God in the way of Jesus. Here's the thing. If somebody were to offer you a gift that could change your life, but they punched you in the face first, the gift that could change your life, 
is not the problem. The punch is. So if you have been a part of a context <laughs> where serving was talked about like with a punch in the face, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. What is needed is not to say serving is the problem, but rather what needs to change is how it's framed and how it's executed in the context of the local church. So I read this story this week. It's about a little girl and her dad, and they were in the car together, and they were listening to some music, and they were both singing at the top of their lungs this song. The chorus of the song was these words, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. So they're singing this together. All of a sudden, the little girl stops singing. And the dad says, honey, why'd you stop singing with me? And she said, daddy, can I ask you a question? He said, of course, sweetie, what, what is it? And she took a big deep breath. And she said, is that it? Is that what this song is about? And he said, what do you mean? And she said, well, if I breathe in and I breathe out, isn't that praise since he put the breath in our lungs? She got it. If every breath we inhale is a gift, every breath we exhale ought to be given as a gift in a life of service and love to our creator. Which means, if you're a plumber or a poet or a police officer, your ultimate mission in life is to spread the ridiculous love of God wherever you are. Jesus gave us our vocation. Go and make disciples. That's the missionary mandate of the church. Now, when I say the church, I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about the organization. I'm talking about every person who is a follower of God in the way of Jesus. We are the church. We don't go to church. We are the church, which means we are all sent on mission with God wherever we are in whatever we do for a living. That's our vocation. So would you say these words with me at the top of the screen? I'm a spiritual contributor. I am a spiritual contributor. What does that mean? It means that I approach my relationship with God by asking, what can I give not what can I get. And in giving, I do receive. I approach my relationship with my faith community. What can I give? And in giving, I receive. I approach my rel relationship with my work, my work life, all of my life. What can I give? Not what can I get. And in giving, you receive. The question is, is it a me-first mindset? Or is it a living is giving mindset? It requires trust. Acts 1, 6 through 9, that Susan just read, Jesus said these words, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now when Jesus said Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth, 
what he is saying there is, it would be like saying, you're going to be my witnesses in Platt Park, in Denver, and in all of the earth. It's concentric circles moving out. But I want you to notice in this sentence that Jesus said, I want you to notice the semicolon. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, semicolon, and you will be my witnesses. Far too often, Christians have put a period where the semicolon is. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, period. It's not a period. It's a semicolon. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, semicolon, and you will be my witnesses. We turn the mission of God into a consumeristic, mid-Christianity when we put a period there instead of a semicolon. When we start to act like the point of the church is like, we love to see you smile. When we approach the community of faith like we would approach a line at Burger King, like, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, I'll have it my way. The church is not an organization for our enjoyment. It's an organism with a calling, with a mission. And the semicolon is there because here's what happens. The Spirit pours himself out on his church for a purpose. And that purpose is while we gather in worship, we go in service. You are blessed to be a blessing restored to work for restoration. It's a semicolon. It's not a period. And when we embrace that, when we embrace that call of Jesus accurately, when we see the semicolon in play, we move from consumers to contributors. And consumers are people who point to themselves, but contributors are people who point to God. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. A spiritual contributor is like a taste of Christ himself on earth. I mean, for many people in the world around us, a simple act of kindness is like a beam of light in a dark world in a, on a dark day. We are almost like employees at Costco handing out samples like just a little taste, come taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. It doesn't have to be much. It's done freely. But it is a little taste of what can be. We help people taste and see that God is good by the samples that we give in service. So this week... 
I want us to together spread the ridiculous love of God in Platte Park and in Denver and to the ends of the earth. And so we have created these little kindness cards. And when you leave this morning, you'll receive one of these. And it basically, it just says, something extra to show you God loves you. And I just want to invite you to join me in taking this card and finding a way to give it to someone in a random act of kindness connected to the purpose God's given you as a follower of Christ. So I'm going to give you a few ideas. You may come up with your own. Maybe you deliver some fresh-baked cookies to a neighbor or coworker. Just attach this little card on top of the plate. Bring fresh flowers to someone. Offer to babysit for free. Shovel somebody's walk if it snows this week. Pay for someone's coffee behind you in the drive-thru or someone's meal behind you in the drive-thru. Send a note of encouragement to someone this week. Give baked goods or a small gift to your postman or delivery person. Leave a big tip, an unexpectedly large tip for your server at a restaurant. Pay for someone's movie that's behind you in line. Help someone you know who's struggling financially. Pay for someone's meal at a restaurant. I'll take their bill. Bake some goodies and drop them off at the police station, fire station, or hospital this week. Maybe take a box of donuts or bagels to your local school office. Cook a meal for a neighbor or a coworker. If it rains and you're standing at the RTD, maybe share your umbrella with a stranger. Help tutor a struggling student. Pay for someone's groceries that are behind you in line. Spiritual contributors go the extra mile to show God's love. One time Jesus said, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Because see, in Jesus' day, a Roman soldier could stop you and just say, carry my gear, and legally, you were obligated to do so for one mile. Jesus is saying, anybody can do that. Go with them two, two miles. So this week, I want to invite you to join me. Take one of these cards. Let's spread the ridiculous love of God in small, tangible acts of kindness this week. As we close, I want you to take a moment to just quiet yourself for a moment of reflection. Get in a comfortable position. Maybe put your feet flat on the ground. Close your eyes. Our, no our world is so noisy. So as we gather in worship, we just want to take a moment to pause and to reflect. And as you do, take a moment to think about the breaths your body is taking. Just take notice as you breathe in, take notice as you breathe out, just by way of observation. Notice your breathing. Because here's the thing, you and I 
are living and breathing two realities that are connected, living and breathing. Physically, we're living and breathing. Spiritually, we're living and breathing. We are sustained entirely by the breath of God. In the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we see that everything ultimately has to do with living and breathing. It has to do with being connected to the source of life that is Christ. The Apostle John tells us that everything is made through Christ and that it is in him that we find life. Peter calls him the author of life. Paul refers to him as the life-giving spirit. As you take in another breath, think about this. Jesus was there at creation, breathing life into Adam. The same Jesus who was in the room when you were born and who breathed life into you. Jesus Christ is the author of your life. And all life that is truly life comes from him. Without him, there is none. Almost like a vacuum cleaner only functioning if it's plugged into the power source. Our lives cannot function as we're designed if we are not plugged into the power source. He's the author. He's the sustainer. He's the source of your life. He's the giver of new life. And he is the one who will renew and resurrect in the end all of that which is seemingly dead. But in reality, the scriptures say, is actually asleep. So take in a breath and hold it. The single breath is from God, the giver and sustainer of life. And now exhale. And think about this. If inhaled breath is a gift from God, shouldn't the exhaled breath be for God? If he's the source, doesn't it just make logical sense that he gets to determine the purpose?
Can we just be crazy enough to think that if my exhale is not for God, it's wasted. It's actually purposeless. I mean, here we are at the start of a new year, and everywhere I look, everybody's looking for their purpose. Why are we looking for our purpose? Because when you lose your why, you lose your way. But as a follower of God in the way of Jesus, your why is to spread the ridiculous love of God. Your purpose is that every exhale would be lived for him, would be given to him. We don't need to go hunting for our purpose because he's given us our purpose. In all we do and in all that we say, we acknowledge that our breath is from him and we give every breath of our living days back to him. So may your exhale this week be given to him. And I dare you, actually, I double dog dare you to take your kindness card and to join me in spreading kindness with a purpose this week. Let's pray. God, you gave me my breath. So it's right and it's good that I give each breath back to you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart and the work of my hands be pleasing to you my Lord, my God, my creator, my sustainer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. And everybody who agreed said,